Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we use intersectional feminism, mindfulness, leadership, and strategy to support smart women to change the world without anxiety, insecurity, and burnout. The amount of progress that we have made in 30 years on trying to solve this problem is three pennies. There's a three cent difference between when we started 30 years ago and now. On the show, we challenge the status quo and support you to unlearn harmful messages that keep you playing small so you can activate your superpowers and live with joy, confidence, and ease. I'm your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hello, good morning, well women. Welcome back to the show. If there ever was a time to prioritize gender equality, including pay equity and reproductive health rights, it is now. With the developments in Texas, namely the abortion ban law that went into effect last week, it's more critical than ever to prioritize the health and rights of the most impacted in our community. And that means women of color. When we come together as a community and declare, not just through words, but through actions, that we stand for the health and rights of all our citizens, we can begin to heal and to create the change that's so needed. Big change never happens without a thousand small steps leading up to it. And my guest today is a leader in implementing small steps that lead to big change. Carol Jenkins is the president and CEO of the ERA Coalition slash Fund for Women's Equality, which aims to amend the U.S. Constitution to include the Equal Rights Amendment. In fact, the U.S. is one of only a handful of United Nations members that has not explicitly guaranteed gender equality in its constitution. Now, before I introduce Carol, I want to review very briefly the almost 100-year journey of the U.S. Equal Rights Amendment. There has been an extraordinary progress in the movement towards full equality. And even though women's rights activist Alice Paul got the ball rolling back in 1923, and Congress passed the ERA in 1972, by 1982, only 35 states had ratified, three shy of the necessary 38. Then, after 40 years, between 2017 and 2020, Nevada, Illinois, and Virginia ratified it. Still, there was another hurdle, the time limit written into the amendment's introduction. So on February 13th, 2020, the House of Representatives voted to dissolve the time limit and the ERA coalition is hopeful it will pass both houses of Congress this year. That's a long and dramatic story. Unfortunately, we have Carol Jenkins with us this morning to shed more light on this. Carol is an advocate for human, civil, and women's rights, an award-winning author, and Emmy-winning former television journalist. Previously, Carol Jenkins was founding president of the Women's Media Center, a national nonprofit organization created to increase coverage and participation of women in media. She also serves on the board of several feminist leadership organizations, as well as groups supporting the arts, excellence in journalism, and international animal rights. So today on the show, we're going to discuss the urgency for equal rights and why the time is now to get the 28th amendment passed. You can find notes from today's show at wellwomanlife.com slash 265 show. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from the Well Woman Academy at wellwomanlife.com slash academy. You can also continue the conversation with us in the Well Woman Life community group at wellwomanlife.com slash community. I'm speaking with Carol Jenkins today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Carol, let's get started by having you tell listeners, who are you in the world today? 
What what a great question. Well, I identify myself most closely with my family. I have uh, three wonderful grandchildren. I I suppose grandmothers always say that, you know, but (laughs) it's true. That is, once you become a grandmother, I think that becomes your identity. You know, when you have children and you're someone's mom, that's your identity. So you go through these, you know, these phases. And so in the world, I am the grandmother of Avery, Sophie, and Sam. Sam and Sophie are eight-year-old twins, girl boy. And Avery is a girl about to go into the seventh grade. So we're launching into that, you know, wonderful, adventurous, uh, I see your eyes, you know, yeah. <laughs> or 12, 13 year old girls as they begin to discover themselves. You know, so that's my my primary uh, identification. And other than that, it's, you know, the work that I do, that I do because you know, it just became a passion of mine once I discovered that the inequality that we have is not going away. And so the work that I do for the Equal Rights Amendment is trying to help fix the world for my grandchildren so that they don't have to experience this endless discrepancy in opportunity, uh, in success, in valuation, even as a human being that we we still have in this country. So I guess those are, you know, the two pieces, family and work. And someone asked me a question the other day of where did you feel safest? (laughs) And I feel safest at my desk working. So therein lies the workaholic in me, I suppose. (laughs) Well, that's so interesting. I work with a lot of workaholics here in the Well Woman community. A lot of high achieving professional women identify as that. And, you know, it's just because we have so much to do, right? Like there's so much work to do still. I know in so little time. Every time I hear about climate change and, you know, the years get shorter and shorter that we have to fix that, you know, it, you know we, and our democracy is fragile and, I mean, and children are hungry. One of the most infuriating things to me is the poverty level of children and food insecure in our country, you know, that a third of them are in a country that is supposed to be one of the richest in the world. And so we do have a lot of work to do. That's yes. probably why we're all furious. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> working so furiously. <laughs> And still working at it. So on that note, you are doing a lot of work. And actually, you did an event, Black Women's Equal Pay, which would directly impact people's ability to put food on the table. And and you also are working to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. And I'd love to talk about both of those things. But just how do you see improving rights for women and girls through this effort? of the Equal Rights Amendment, maybe just for people who aren't like in the weeds in this, who would love to know. Sure. So uh, the United States of America operates, whether we know it or not, conscious or not, on some rules that were set by the founders of our country. They wrote them down in the Constitution. The writers, the authors were, of course, men you know, uh, land-owning, slave-owning men. And they, they stipulated what they thought were the rules for the way life was then, hundreds of years ago. They left out women, they left out the enslaved, they left out so many of the people. It wasn't even a thought then. The bulk of the population as it exists now should also be included in the Constitution. But they gave a way to fix the Constitution. They were smart enough to know that they didn't know everything then. So they gave a way of amending the Constitution to provide rights and to fix errors as time went along. And the Constitution has been amended 27 times. And the amendment that I'm working on would be the 28th. It's the Equal Rights Amendment. And it would, in effect, put women in the Constitution. 
Constitution. But in reality, the only thing it says is that you cannot discriminate against anyone based on their sex. And so as we know now, that includes everybody. Uh, What was intended as an amendment to put women in the Constitution has been an amendment that really equalizes the entire country for us. No one can be discriminated against. And it was the conservative Supreme Court Justice Antony Scalia, who was asked, you know, well, doesn't the Constitution already prohibit discrimination based on sex? And he said, no. So, and then he said, if you want it, go ahead and put it in. And so that's what we've been trying trying to do. The amendment we're working on was written almost a hundred years ago by Alice Paul and friends, the same group that gave women the vote. And you know what they had to go through for that. Mm-hmm. Prison and forced feeding and standing outside of the White House and, and begging and protesting. And so after the idea that women were smart enough to participate in the voting of this country, Alice Ball said, but we have one more step to go. Women can now vote, but they really are not equal. They're not mentioned in the Constitution, and they need to be because there'll be trouble down the road. So that's what we're doing almost 100 years later, still trying to get that fixed uh, on the Constitution. Yes, it's been going on for 100 years. Why now? And like, your organization is really kind of doubling down on the efforts and really centering Black, Indigenous, and women of color, gender nonconforming, transgender women and girls, and non-binary people, and those most impacted by systemic inequities. Why is that the way to go now? Like, how, how are we going to do this now? And we haven't been able to do it in 100 years. Well, I think people are beginning to realize that the conditions are not going to change unless the foundation changes. We've tried everything else. How many years and how much money have we spent on diversity in trying to equalize women, people of color, the disabled, all of these groups, and it has not solved the problem. And it's because the foundation is weak. You have to go to the root of the discrimination. I say, if you are talking about systemic racism and systemic sexism in America, it is rooted in the Constitution of the United States. And to change that, to bring that right out and get to the heart of, of why we have not been able to make substantial changes, uh, you know, is why we're working on amending the Constitution. You mentioned the Black Women's Equal Pay Day program. We just uh, did a town hall. It is astonishing to me every time this commemoration comes around. I get extremely agitated because nothing ever changes. We tell everybody how much longer a Black woman has to work, Latina and Asian woman, all of the women who have to work months into the next year to make what a white man made the previous year. When it comes to Black women, the amount of progress that we have made in 30 years on trying to solve this problem is three pennies. There's a three cent difference between when we started 30 years ago and now the discrepancy. So we did the town hall and brought, you know, all of these figures together to say, let's next year not have to repeat these same statistics, 63 cents, or to say it will take women, Black women, 100 years to make up, you know, this deferential. Mm -hmm. And that it costs a Black woman a million dollars in earnings over her lifetime. As you say, money that could be putting a house uh, together, a home together for a family, food on the table, education, all of the things that we think of as, you know, uh, natural rights that should belong to everybody in the United States that are absolutely missing uh, for so many of our 
uh, of our residents. So, you know, that's why we're putting the push on. And the and the glorious reason that we're doing it now is that we are so close. It may have taken us a century, but we now have all of the elements that we need to make this happen. In order to amend the Constitution, as they many people say, it was not made easy. Uh, but you have to have the amendment passed by Congress. And that happened for the Equal Rights Amendment all the way back in 1972. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unanimously, well, by, by, by bipartisan, not unanimously, but it was a bipartisan vote and an overwhelming vote. Then what has to happen is that that amendment has to go out for ratification by states. And you have to have 38 states to ratify uh, an amendment. And we have gotten all of that. The wrinkle for us is that this amendment had a time limit imposed in the introduction of the amendment. Uh, first seven years, and then it was extended to 10 years, uh, and we did not get the, th- the 38 states within that first and second time limit. And so this is what what we are trying to get removed in Congress. We say Congress imposed that deadline, or what we like to think of as a time limit, nothing so hard and harsh as a deadline. They only gave a suggested amount of time that you should get this done, we say. So uh, the House of Representatives has removed the time limit, and now we're waiting on the Senate uh, to remove the time limit. And that's, you know, why what the urgency is now, that all of the pieces are in place. We just need the Senate to say there is no time limit. There can be no time limit on equality. You know, let's move forward. And what happens after that? Well, we probably have a few court uh, fights, you know, probably all the way up to the Supreme Court. We don't know. I mean, there will always be, you know, the big discussion, the argument about whether or not the uh, the Equal Rights Amendment is necessary uh, and what other unintended consequences it may it may bring. But but if it is if attached to the Constitution, it means that we can then begin working on equalizing our society on the laws that will once and for all and permanently uh, equalize our societies. The way uh, we have made things better for people in the country is by fixing things. We have laws that, like the Violence Against Women Act, that has to be reauthorized every so often, you know, but it's that that chance of, is it going to be reauthorized? It's like the civil rights or the voting rights, you know, that all have to be reauthorized and voted yeah. on, et cetera. So, you know, we think that having this foundation of constitutional equality will remove that suspense and the fear that these rights and protections can be taken away at any moment. Okay, great. Well, I'm speaking with Carol Jenkins of the ERA Coalition, and we'll be right back. You're invited to join me for a brand new monthly group experience over in the Well Woman Academy. This is a monthly group that includes access to the full six-week course based on feminism, mindfulness, and the Well Woman Life Framework. It includes weekly groups coaching sessions with me, as well as office hours and a private Facebook group to share and grow. Don't get me wrong, this is hard work. But with these tools, you will easily find the time to do the course, get the coaching, and reach your goals monthly. If you find yourself worrying about whether you'll ever make it in the thing you're pursuing, waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety, lacking the energy you need to get everything done, stuck in some aspect of leading your team, procrastinating on moving forward with projects and tasks, or in a leadership role but second-guessing yourself constantly, I'd love to introduce you to the Well Woman Academy. It's 
for smart, high-achieving women changing the world who want to overcome anxiety, burnout, perfectionism, and insecurity. The result? You get to live your well-woman life, a life of joy, ease, and abundance, even when things are tough all around you. Visit wellwomanlife.com academy to learn more. We're back on the Well Woman Show with Carol Jenkins with the ERA Coalition. We've been having a great discussion about the ERA Amendment and also about Black women's equal pay. And Carol, this segment is really so that listeners can get to know you a little better as a leader. And so the first question I have for you is, what does success in life mean for you? It means that you are committed uh, to a goal and you work on it, whether you get there or not, but you are committed, you're passionate, and you engage in life in a passionate way, whether it is with your work or with your family or with your friends and with society. I think that to me, that success, you know, that excitement of having a passion and the working on it, you know, no matter how far you get, uh, you, you know, you don't give up, you figure out a way to keep going. And so that's the success. The fact that at my age, and I am way into my seventies, that the fact that I can get up in the morning every day and I have a passion, I have something to work on. I have something to work for the equality for my grandchildren. To me, that's the success. I know that I've got good work ahead, work that will improve the lives of other people. And Carol, I love that you really connect the how you define success. You have a real connection to something tangible and real, which is your grandchildren that, that keeps you connected. Because I, I think that a lot of people have a passion, but it's, you know, it's really important to have something that keeps you connected to your purpose. And you certainly have that with your grandchildren. So that's a great takeaway for listeners. So I want to ask you, Carol, you do have a long career. You just mentioned it. You know, interestingly, things that people might not associate you with nowadays, but you had a 25-year career in network television and journalism, and you're an author and just all of these things. When did you know that you were really good at what you do? I'm not so sure that defining yourself as saying that I'm good at it. Well, I know that I'm not bad at it. Maybe that's the... (laughs) You know, I mean, I can do it, you know, I love, you know, I love it, you know, but I, I don't think that we necessarily have to say, great, we're perfect, you know, all of that. You know, I think we could say, I could do it. I could enjoy it. I'm not bad at it, you know, and that's good enough. You know, I mm. think because we sometimes get in the in the trap of feeling so bad about ourselves because we're not perfect or the highest achiever or the whatever I, you know, I mean, so yeah. the, way, the way I keep myself going is that, you know, I could do this and I can make a contribution and I'm going to continue doing it, whatever it is. I love that because we as women often, you know, hold ourselves back from doing something because, oh, we're just not perfect at it yet, or we don't have all the qualifications, or we don't have what other people have, or whatever the story. And I hear you just saying, like, it's good enough. Like, I I can, you know, I can do these things. Clearly, you can do those things, Carol. But, you know, like, that's a great lesson for other, other women. So, Carol, can you describe a personal habit that contributes to your well-being so that you can 
do everything that you do in the world. I have an obsession of about two things actually now, about books and about cows, you know? So I was uh, born on a farm <laughs> in Alabama. And so that's what my family says. That's why you love cows. I love cows. The serenity of the, the beauty of the bulk of their bodies. And I love that they give, you know, they can, you know, they can produce. They, so they actually also give to society in some way. So I love cows and I also love books, but books to excess. So my children are like, please stop. We're going to have to, you know, come excavate you, you know, <laughs> out of your apartment because it's filled with books. But, you know, I think that it's a passion with me. I love to read. And, and what I, what is thrilling to me now is that my grandchildren love to read. My 12 year old is reading Anna Karenina. And I said, you know, if you're reading Tolstoy at 12, my job is done. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Okay. What superpower did you discover you had? Had only to realize it was there all the time. I am curious. I love talking with people. I love listening to them. I love the, to hear their life stories, you know, the things that move them. And I guess that has always been, if there is a superpower, it was what gave me a 25-year journalism career because I loved asking the questions and I love hearing what they had to say. And it was just a magnificent front row seat on the world, quite frankly. So, you know, it's still that superpower of listening to people's stories, to women who, you know, have less than and feel less than because they don't have full rights for, you know. So it's that curiosity, the interest in the question and the importantly for me to actually perfect my superpower to actually listen to the answer <laughs> and take something away. I mean, you were a young journalist when there weren't a lot of Black women doing what you were doing. Right. I was in that first wave in the early 1970s. So that was, you know, that was quite quite an adventure. And it happened because of the rioting in the streets and an analysis of media very early in the day when there were only a couple of networks, uh, hardly any local stations, so to speak. Of. I was hired in that in the first class of, of Blacks and women who were uh, brought into into the business. And those early days when, you know, you were automatically assigned the flower show, you know, when you really wanted to do the hardcore politics. Uh, so it took us a while to get to that. But we have gotten to that. So there is progress. Certainly not enough because the other organization that I started before I started working for the Equal Rights Amendment was the Women's Media Center that we started with Gloria Steinem and Jane Fonda and Robin yeah. Morgan. And we did because... You know, this was 2005 or whatever, and we looked around and said there had not been enough progress. Gloria always said was when people complain about women not being in the history books, you know, our accomplishments not being realized or recognized, it is because we're not in the everyday telling of our stories. We're not then in the print or in the, you know, television media. So if you're not, you know, a part of this daily conversation, you will never wind up in the history book. So we, you know, started that organization to make sure that both the tellers of the stories, the reporters, and the women being interviewed were of substance and enough uh, to make up, you know, the, our absence in history. 
as we know, we have to go back now and rewrite history to put women in, to put black people in, all kinds of, you know, people who were just left out of the telling of the history of of this country. Yes, absolutely. And also, how important was it to get some of those stories included in the mainstream coverage? That's often where it gets left off. Exactly. And that's why a lot of the major publications, they have, they actually have pretty good archival files of things that they never printed before, you know, that they now are the photographs of Black people engaged in all kinds of wonderful things that are suddenly appearing in, you know, the the newspapers or online in 2021. Uh, so there's finally recognition oh, for the women who always did amazing, incredible things, but were never thought worthy enough to be front page. Or the story always centered around the stereotype of that of that identity, right? Like whether it was women, it was always stories about motherhood or sewing or whatever. And right. if, it was, if it was about Black and Indigenous women, it was something else. Like, And now right. we're seeing a real push to like expand the story, right? Right, right, right. So we still have a lot of work to do in that area as well, but it, it definitely has improved. Okay. And Carol, what advice would you give your 25 or 30 year old self? Sit back and enjoy it a little bit more. There is joy to be had in life and you do not have to be angry or workaholic beyond what makes you happy. You can enjoy life, but I would say, please stop. Enjoy your children because I do enjoy my ch- my grandchildren more than I could enjoy my children because I was so engaged in making a career. So I would say stop and make make sure you do that with your family because, you know, as you get older, you know that this is not forever. People at any age can leave your universe. And so just, you know, try to make sure that you pay attention, you know, to the people you care about in your life because, you could lose them at any time. Yeah. And it's it's hard to do. It's hard to do all of those things as professional women with with uh, families. You know, there's such pressure to, to to fit into the masculine model or the male created model of work. And so it's going to take, I think it's going to take leaders saying, no, we don't have to work ourselves to the bone. We can actually work a four day week or we can leave the office at five. And, you know, your family is important. I think it's going to take actually a lot of that leadership to change the culture. Yeah. And I think recently with Simone Biles at the Olympics, we had a very good example of the world will push you to the brink and beyond the brink. And it's it's we what we have to do is to say, no, I'm not going over that that edge. You know, I am stopping. So That's I right. think that and I would say that like it took such courage for her to say that and that's absolutely necessary and it also takes a system of support around her to say yes that is okay to do because you if you put yourself out there alone and you're the lone person saying like no I'm not going to come in to work at you know 8 a.m I'm going to take my kids to school first and then come in at nine and nobody's there to support you that can feel very lonely yeah it's so interesting because she did have the support and Naomi Osaka did not you know I mean they were very many people were very angry with her for pulling back from uh from tennis you know but by the time Simone Biles, who was had always been fearless, who said, you know what, I have a moment of fear. <laughs> you know, yeah, everybody may think I'm fearless, but I'm actually human and I'm afraid that I'm going to get hurt and or 
that I just can't, you know, push myself beyond this uh, limit. And you know what? You know, the world did not stop. You know, her world did not come to an end and the rest of the world did not come to an end. So we have to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, couple last quick questions as we're running out of time. Carol, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but I'd love you to expand on it a little bit. Do you identify as a feminist? I do. And because of my grandfather, who was a feminist, my grandfather, the farmer uh, in Lowndes County, Alabama, my mother's father, my grandparents had 15 children. There were nine girls and six boys, rural Lowndes County, Alabama farm. And my grandfather sent all of his daughters to college. (laughs) The boys stayed home to take care of the farm. And so we always say that he was the first feminist in our family because he understood that education was going to run through the women, you know, of the family. And that's exactly what happened. Because of that, we have multiple generations of happy people. Yes, exactly. Great example of how men can be feminists and we can lift those stories up too. Last question, Carol, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Well, what I've just ordered is Rita Dove's new book of poetry, uh, the playlist for the apocalypse. And I've read, I don't have the book yet, but I read the review and I always loved her poetry. And I said, I've got to have this. So it's on the way. Okay, good. We will put that in the show notes and on the book list. We always love to share book recommendations from our guests. And Carol Jenkins, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Oh, thank you so much. What great questions. What a great conversation with you. Thank you. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your Well Woman Life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join our community. As a reminder, we are on NPR every week. So be sure to tune in at npr.org slash podcasts and search for The Well Woman Show. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment and subscribe and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.